All right, I'm just starting this early so I can complain about all the tech things that went wrong when I came home. You know, I was like, you turn your computer off, which is really rare for me. Uh, it's really rare to even reboot it. But anyway, I go on, hello, just turn the computer off. And I come home and all the things that aren't working. And then the things that that explains that were strange whilst I was away. So <laughs> hey, here's what's not working. My big screen here, the ultra-wide there was a Windows update which was pending for ages. I shut my computer down. Uh, it's come up. It's looking really, really like was there a display adapter change? And now it's – put it this way. It looks like I'm wearing like a silk <laughs> a silk T-shirt because everything's got a weird sheen to it on the screen, which I guess really doesn't matter that much. Anyway, there was that. And then there was no connectivity anywhere. And I'm going, why is there no connectivity? And then I go into, into my Ubiquiti Dream Machine – just by IP address, local IP address, speed test, speed test is fine. So anyway, I realized my Pi Hole was dead. So Pi Hole wasn't responding at all. So I use a Pi Hole to do all of my DNS resolution. So any device on the network which tries to resolve a hostname to an IP address goes through the Pi Hole and then it blocks all of the like nasty advertising stuff and trackers and things like this. Anyway, Pi Hole was like literally blocking everything. It just didn't work at all. Which also explains why I had a call at like 1.20 in the morning this morning, which uh, fortunately did not wake me up because of the do not disturb settings and everything, but from the security company saying, oh, your home alarm system was was not accessible. Well, apparently the pie hole stopped replying. Also explains why I couldn't see any of my security cameras, although there's still something wrong with my, like I should be able to go to unify.ui.com and see my dream machine, which I can see. My UNVR, last seen on August 25, 11.11am, which by my reckoning was about one and a quarter days ago. So I'm going to have to like literally go back down to the this, this server room, <laughs> the, the cupboard in my garage that has the rack in it, and, uh, and try and reboot it from there because it's, it's gone. Anyway, other than that, good to be home. Let's talk about sponsor, and then I'll talk about some snowboarding stuff and being away. G'day, Neil from Sydney. I was in Sydney about two hours ago. Thank you, Qantas, for cancelling our Canberra to Gold Coast direct flight and replacing it with a Canberra to Sydney to Gold Coast flight, which then ran late because they literally had to change the tyre on the plane. Like, I was sitting here in Canberra looking out at the plane, and they're like, yeah, we have to change your tyre. And so, is this, I don't know, like airport speak for do something? No, there's, there's guys out there literally carrying a spare uh, Dash 8 tyre around. So, anyway, sponsor this week as it has been for many weeks in a row now, is Collide. Collide is a fleet visibility solution for Mac, Windows, and Linux that can help you securely scale your business. Learn more here. I've mentioned Collide obviously many times recently because I've been a sponsor for a long time. Uh, but they have been fantastic in helping to support me doing what I'm doing. So it's really great when people can give them a click and just go and have a look at what they do. I like this artwork, actually. <laughs> Become all-knowing. Collide gives you accurate, valuable, and complete flizzle. Fleet, 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 fleet visibility. <laughs> I did knock my head a couple of times while I was away. We'll come back to that. Across Mac, Windows, and Linux endpoints. Uh, hard questions, easy answers. Please go and check out Clyde and thank those folks for allowing me to continue doing what it is that I do here, including drinking a nice beer. As it is a Friday afternoon, uh, because someone always asks, this is from this, this uh, Belgian brewery. Well... It's an Australian brewery, but they do Belgian-style beers close to here that opened not so long ago and just started getting really, really good lately. It's a Belgian Session Ale, so it's like 3.5%. It's super light. It's just 
it's lovely. It's refreshing. Shiny Doc. First time I managed to catch me live for a while. G'day, Shiny Doc. Uh, from GB, from uh, Great Britain. CVA's bonjour from Western Spiral Arm of, of the Beaujolais. Beaujolais, as in Beaujolais wine, I, I take it. Uh, and Rich is in Dublin, in Ireland. Uh, yeah, somewhere I haven't been yet. I have not been to Ireland yet. So, yeah, maybe that should be on the list too. Anyway, where I have been, and I have just come back from is down at the uh, down at the snow yes we do have snow in australia i know this is a this is coming as a massive shock to some people uh it it comes as about an equal shock to the times where they go how is there snow because it's summer and i kid you not and i i do like i lose my mind just a little bit over this when people are shocked that you can be skiing in august because august is summer and i'm like my kids are young and they understand that there's a top half and a bottom half and a bit around the middle called the equator and the seasons and the daylights and things are kind of up. How do you not understand this? You're an adult. Anyway, <laughs> it, it is winter. We actually only have about five days of winter left, which I'm happy about because I'm really, really looking forward to summer. I'm definitely a summer person. But uh, we were down at the snow in Threadbow for the Aussies amongst you who may actually know where that is. George is in Austria. It's very different to Austria. <laughs> I have been to Austria a few times. It's very different to there. <laughs> and Carolise uh, is wondering why Belgian beer is only 3.5%. So they're not right. Now, they do do a lovely quad, which is about 9.5%, the one they do here. Uh, and there's a strong ale somewhere in the 80s. And I, I love those. They're great, but there is a time and a place, and that's that's not right now. In part because my I got down off these two flights, as I just mentioned, and you ever come off a flight and your ear hasn't quite cleared properly? And I, I've had just like a little bit of congestion, maybe all the cold mountain air or something. Uh, and this ear, my left ear, is just not quite clear. And I feel a little bit disorientated. So I was like, a 9.5% Belgian beer is probably not what you need when you feel just a little bit disorientated. Anyway, it was a great trip away. We had intended to do this in 2020, as I'd done for so many years beforehand. Obviously, things happened in 2020, which meant restrictions. We couldn't go anywhere. 2021 was all ready to go. Didn't happen. 2022, it has finally happened. So we got on planes and buses and things and did the trip. Uh, and look, it was it was great. Skiing in Australia is very different to other parts of the world. Now, I've not been skiing in, in Austria or main i think we can say mainland europe i have obviously norway a few times before given the charlotte attachment uh it's not like japan or canada or utah i've been to quite a bit uh it's you know the, the mountains are smaller the temperatures are warmer it's usually positive something above freezing in the village which is a little bit sucky we did get one massive fresh dump uh, it was probably the best of the year by the center got 28 centimeters on uh i think it was tuesday and that was that was beautiful. Like, that was lovely. It was just fantastic. Uh, there is a tweet thread. It's got all the stuff in there. There's a little, little short video there of just all of those face shots of, like, fresh, fresh, fresh snow, which was, which was great. Having said that, every time you go away skiing, you do always come back. We're not injured, uh, but three out of the four of us have bruises on our asses. I'm not entirely sure how it happened. <laughs> and, and like I said, I've come back later, a little bit of that sniffle from the snow and just... Just ready to relax. I miss my home. I do. When I'm not here. It's, it is actually really nice to have a home that you really, really want to come home from holidays to. In both in terms of the house and where we live. So that's good news. Hmm. Okay. 
a lot happened while I was away. I think the thing that really blew up was this Twitter versus Mudge thing. Now, this is a really, really interesting backstory. And I, I sort of didn't know where to begin on this. And it's, it's not entirely clear because it's, you know, someone's saying this, someone's saying that. But I, I guess by way of background, Twitter has had a lot of press lately in largely because of the of the Elon Musk uh, potential acquisition and then all the claims about bots and as if less than 5% bots or more than 5% bots and then he's pulled out and now they're going after him and he's turning into a, a quite entertaining uh, online debate, if I'm completely honest. Anyway, lots of uh, argy-bargy about how much of Twitter is organic legitimate content versus orchestrated content uh, by the likes of bots, whether they're trying to market things or sway political persuasions or or influence elections, whatever it may be. We've heard it all before. So there's that narrative which has been going on in this this sort of one stream. Uh, and then there has been some changes in terms of uh, in terms of security folks, in terms of their CISOs. I, I think at least of the ones I know, we're up to like the third one in the last few years. Uh, Mudge, who is very very well known and very well respected, he was sort of him and the and I think it was a total of the four of them ended up in Congress about twenty four years ago. Something it was like late nineties, like the first time cybersecurity ended up in the in the public psyche and certainly in terms of, of any up in congress so it was a massive thing and there's just like these these four dudes with long hair sitting there in congress talking about the cybers which was really really unusual at the time so it was very well known for that and i, I would argue is a very positive public opinion of him in terms of his his moral compass and his ethics and all the rest of it so people seem to really really like mudge so he was there as CISO at twitter left earlier this year now this is where it kind of gets interesting because Twitter has uh, and uh, let's not do the whole allegedly thing because everyone's alleging everything. So let's assume that everything that is said here is alleged. But Twitter has fired him uh, for poor performance and not towing the corporate line, whatever else it may be. But obviously has publicly indicated that they weren't happy with the guy, so they got rid of him. Now he's come out months afterwards and just dropped an absolute bombshell, largely under the let's say, under the protections of uh, being a whistleblower. So disclosing things about... I had to explain this to, my, to Ari, my 12-year-old the other day. Uh, I said, you know, it's, it's like Edward Snowden. He's like, who's Edward Snowden? I said, oh. well, it's like what, kind of like what Julian Assange is. Who's Julian Assange? We literally went to the Ecuadorian embassy in London. Can you not remember this? <laughs> anyway, the idea that this is someone who discloses wrongdoings within an organisation or a government, brings it to public light with the public interest in mind. Now, I think the best summary I've seen in terms of what has been alleged here is is in the Risky Biz newsletter. So Catalan Campano has, has uh, got a great list of bullet points here. So I just copied and pasted these into my list because I thought, honestly, this is just the cleanest way to go through it. There's, there's much longer stories out there. There's some interviews as well uh, with Mudge, which I think are quite interesting. But here's the nuts and bolts of it. So, number one. This is what is alleged by Mudge. Twitter has no access control systems in place, and most engineers can access the site's production environment and user data at any time. Now, as I started reading this, I, I, I caught myself sort of falling for the confirmation bias, and I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. Having been in a large corporate environment for many, many years, which, as everyone knows, <laughs> was, was at Pfizer, and seeing some of the 
frankly, really shitty things that went on. When I read something like this, no access control systems in place and engineers accessing sites production environment, I would see that all the time. So when I started reading this, I was like, those bastards, I know this happens and now it's coming out to light, you know, like let's, let's get them kind of thing. Uh, I, I'm conscious that I think a lot of people reading this uh, are falling for that same confirmation bias and that they may be a little bit too receptive of this because of their own experiences. And, and we, we need to remember again, this is one person alleging a bunch of things. With that in mind, number two. Twitter doesn't keep logs of what engineers are changing in the production environment or who is accessing what. And again, I'm reading this going, yeah, look, I can totally imagine that happening. About half of Twitter's 500,000 servers, it's kind of impressive, half a million servers, run outdated software that does not support basic security features such as data encryption or does not achieve uh, regular security updates. And it's, it, it's, it is starting to sound a little bit weird now because it, it's one thing if this is uh, a very traditional organization with let's say in the case of Pfizer like 150 something years worth of history when I joined it's different when it's it's a Silicon Valley okay they're not a really startup anymore but it is a tech centric company because stuff like that starts to it, it does sound a little bit harder to believe anyway Twitter is failing to properly delete user data when users request their data be deleted, mainly because data is spread across different internal systems and are hard to keep track of. Now, I can understand that, and I immediately go back to things like the Ashley Madison data breach, where we know that people were actually paying for data to be deleted, and it wasn't being deleted. Uh, and this, I, I, I guess what, like the theme here is that a lot of this stuff certainly feels feasible, and people are latching on to this feasibility. Now, we're yet to see if that's true or not, but things like not keeping systems up to date, you could imagine is true. Could be true. Twitter lacks sufficient redundancies and no procedures to recover from data center crashes, putting crucial data, user data at risk. I, I guess that's at risk of loss as opposed to, say, disclosure or, or uh, modification. Twitter was forced by the Indian government to hire government agents in its staff who then had access to Twitter's vast amounts of user data. This feels like, it almost feels like this is the headline and it's buried like a, it's, it's not a, not a uh, criticism of Catalan because almost the other reporting I've seen of this is like this is somewhere much further down the list. But if what is alleged here is true, which is a government has planted employees or government staff within the organization in order to subvert the natural course of justice and court orders or subpoenas or whatever it is that's required to get access to Twitter data so that they can just have a level of access that, that they shouldn't. Like, now that's really, really serious. Twitter's CEO, Parag Agrawal, Parag, we all know who he is, was willing to honor Russia's request to censor Twitter according to Kremlin's demands and views. I almost feel that that's a little bit disingenuous as a criticism. Only in we don't like the whole thing with Russia. It's not about that. Only in so far as if you want to operate in a country, you do normally have to adhere to their local laws, uh, and certainly most, if not all, tech platforms will curtail to complying with local laws. Now. Sometimes that's meant some pretty shitty stuff. Uh, so we've seen, uh, I'm sure it was the likes of Apple uh, not providing gay emojis in Russia because Russia has a very different view of sexuality to what we do in most of the rest of the world. Uh, now, I don't like that. I don't agree with that. 
that is their local law. If you want to operate in the country, that is one of those things you got to kind of address. Twitter execs prioritize user growth over security. And again, you're going, yeah, I could see that. That'd be very feasible. As they stood to earn bonuses, as much as 10 million. Is that each? Like if you're a Twitter exec, could you get a bonus of up to 10 million? Because that sounds like a pretty sweet gig. This led Twitter execs to not being interested in measuring the prevalence of bot accounts on the platform because revealing such figures would most likely hurt its stock. Now, this is where it gets interesting because it ties into the Musk bit. And the next point sort of clarifies that a Twitter executive actually tried to disable ROPO, a Twitter security feature that would put accounts into read-only mode until they went through a phone verification process, a security feature that was added to fight spam bots. So effectively saying that this ROPO feature was meant to try and figure out what is a legitimate human versus a spam bot. But they're disabling this because they want to obviously increase the numbers. So now Elon's all interested because he's like, hey, more than 5%. Twitter's like, no, less than 5%. And one of the other pieces I've read here is that Musk's team has already subpoenaed information from uh, from Mudge, who's both seem to be almost on the same side of this. So I'm not sure why they had to subpoena it, but anyway. Because inevitably the information that Mudge has is useful to Elon trying to fight this, whatever the nature of the claim is about Twitter saying you pulled out of the deal and I'm not happy about it. Twitter's leadership went behind Zatko's back, Zatko's Mudge, to scrub a report compiled about government propaganda and misinformation campaigns active on its site that was compiled by a third-party consulting firm. Uh, and then it says Twitter was never in compliance with an FTC order in 2010 and lied to regulators about security practices. The rest of this is it was very, very similar. Uh, Mudge said he was also told to cherry-pick and misrepresent data or create false perceptions of progress on cybersecurity. Twitter management tried to hide or misrepresent his uh, findings from the board. There was also, I don't think it's in Catalan's notes here, but one of the other things that's come up quite a bit is he was asked to verbally brief the board and not put things in writing. I've seen a few bits, and I know that, Pat, on, on Risky Business, the, the show that went out a couple of days ago, which I haven't listened yet because I've been busy snowboarding, uh, does have a lot more information about this, and I, I believe that there's uh, a few things in there which do uh, attempt to debunk some of Mudge's claims. But even if you said only half of this is accurate, if half of this was accurate, that's pretty serious. So... We'll see. There does seem to be uh, things of a legal nature coming out now, and much as lawyers who are protecting whistleblowers and uh, lawyers always win, don't they? Uh, it's messy, messy. Stratus here. G'day, Troy. I make sure not to follow bot accounts, and if a bot account starts to spam my feed, then I'll stop following and block straight away. Part of the problem is knowing whether it's a bot account or not. I've had arguments with people on Twitter where I've shared something. and Here's then the, what I found. Thanks, Siri. That's, uh, that's really useful. I've had <laughs> arguments on Twitter where I've shared something and someone's going, oh, this is, like a, this is just a bot account. You know, what are you sharing it for? So are you sure? And they're like, yeah, because ABC. And they're like, how do I know you're not a bot account and you're actually trying to stop me from following someone real? It's a hard problem. It's a hard problem. Maybe Elon can work it out. I don't know. Anyway, this has obviously got a way to go yet. This is going to take some time to play out. It's um, it's pretty crazy to see the nature of these claims on a platform that that I am so dependent on. Dependent on, I love so much. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Mudge has got a 
he's got a lot of uh, social goodwill behind him, so it'll be interesting to see where this goes. All right, back to more familiar territory. Data breaches. Plex. Ah, oh, jeez. Now, Plex was breached. I'm actually going to go and find my description here. They were breached years ago and ended up in Have I Been Pwned. I must be one of the very early Plex users, I'm sure. Uh, John's here. Good day, John. <laughs> yeah, John, I'm, I'm not on Gaper. Oh, man, now I read Gaper like that. It sounds much worse than what it actually is. I'll explain that in just a moment. Back on Plex. So Plex was breached in, what did we say it was, about 2015? 2015, July 2015. The discussion forum for Plex, so the forum, was hacked and over 327,000 accounts exposed. Uh, it was an IP board-based forum, leaked IP addresses, uh, password stored assaulted hashes, um, 327,000 people, including me. Thank you very much. Now, fast forward seven years, and I appreciate that was a discussion board, but apparently Plex now has 30 million subscribers, which, all right, first of all, good on them. Like, that's a good effort. 30 million subscribers. Jeez. They've done very, very well. Uh, anyway, be that as it may, so they've had 30, uh, 30 million subscribers now impacted in a new data reach. Actually, a subset of the 30 million is the term that has been used. So we'll come back to that in just a moment. The actual um, nomenclature. Just going to go through my tweet thread here. So because I'm a, a happy, was a happy Plex user, I got this email about me being in a data breach, um, which is which is actually pretty well worded. I I take Humbridge, Humbridge at the term they use here where they say uh, access to a limited subset of data that includes emails, usernames, and encrypted passwords. Even though all account passwords that could have been accessed were hashed. So, well, which one is it? <laughs> were they encrypted or were they hashed? You know, like, pick a horse, man. Like, you're having it both ways again. Uh, now, inevitably, uh, it does turn out later on. There's a, a comment on a Reddit thread from a Plex employee that their salt and peppered bcrypt hashes, bcrypt, of course, always has a salt built in. If they're using a pepper, which for all intents and purposes is used as a key that's applied to every single hash, and then you need to have that key as well as the hash, then, you know, good on them. That is a pretty good way of doing things these days. But be that as it may, uh, here's the thread. So they've had the data breach, and they're like, go and change your password and sign out your other devices. So like, okay, I'll go and do it. Smashed on their password reset. So knowing now that they have 30 million subscribers and if you've got even a small subset of those all coming trying to create a new password at the same time and bcrypt hashing it which is a high workload algorithm if you had one percent of your 30 million so you got 300,000 people trying to do that within a short period of time that's going to put some load on things so interesting little uh engineering takeaway there as well if you had to get every single one of your subscribers to go and change their password and one percent of them did at the same time could you actually support that? Now, I then went through and tried not to sign out existing devices, and apparently that worked. And eventually I managed to change my password, and now I'm not sure what's actually still logged in or what's not. So now that I'm home, I've got to go and look at my Plex Media server and actually check if that's signed in on it, ah, which is kind of messy. So, yeah, look, it's a bit of a shame to see that. Their, their messaging... They needed they need a better technical deep dive on this because 
they're kind of vague about it, where they've gone, uh, what happened? Yesterday we discovered suspicious activity on one of our databases. We, began we immediately began an investigation, and it does appear that a third party was able to access a limited subset of data, and then it goes on to the other things as mentioned. And that's really all the detail. So we don't have any more information. I'd like to see a more technical deep dive. Uh, maybe we will. I think they're, my view of them at least is that for the most part they're a pretty open organisation. So maybe we will. Maybe we will. All right, so back here in the thread. So John, my mate John from Belgium, who we've had many other Belgian beers with in the past, mentioned, uh, what was it, Gaper? Oh, that that sounds such a terrible name out of context. Just so you don't go Googling that, because I don't know where you're going to end up. Someone DM me today, <coughs> and they said, um, uh, hey, your photo is being used as like a testimonial under a different name on a different website. So there's this website called Gaper. What do they do? Uh <laughs> I was tempted to ask for wrong answers only, but it might be a bit early with a, bit, a little bit less fear for that. Gaper is to hire remote engineers. I got the impression it was Pakistani as well. Um, so maybe maybe some cultural... Oh, they say New York, but why was I thinking Pakistani? I don't know. doesn't really matter. What matters is that they took my old profile photo, they called me Jason Moore, and then they dated 25th of Feb 2020, and there's a testimonial from me, Jason. Joining Gaper has allowed me to focus more on doing what I enjoy rather than spending hours on end trying to find the right project to work on. So thanks, John, for bringing that up again. <laughs> Not the first time my profile photo has been used in place of, I guess, purchasing a stock photo or something. Gordon's here. Uh, yesterday, uh, there was Plex activity from another one of their emails sent this morning after the mail sent last week. So, Gordon, are you saying there was another Plex email? Fill me in on the gap on that, because I've only received the one so far. John says, I didn't even remember that I ever created a Plex account many years ago. Old accounts don't die. I've got so many accounts that I never remembered actually creating. I'm in so many data breaches, I never end remember creating an account for. Ah, and it was his pre-password manager era. I'm going to look that one up now. Josh says, hi, Troy. I actually only set up my Plex server last week and got the email to say my account may have been breached yesterday. Talk about off-putting. But what are you going to do? Like, are you going to go and use another? Like, I saw someone, I can't remember the name of it, but someone suggests another service. So are you going to go and use them because they won't have an incident? Or do you just leave Plex because you want to vote with your feet and you're shitty that they've had another incident? Or is the fact that they've had an incident another incident, actually going to make their security posture better because they're more aware of it and they're going to shine a brighter light on it than they would have if they didn't have the incident. I just, I, I don't think abandoning a platform just on the basis of having had a data breach, and we'll talk about LastPass in a moment, and it's pretty much the same answer there. I don't know that jumping ship for that reason alone is actually good enough. Stratus. This is the first time I haven't heard of Plex. Uh, first time I have heard of Plex. Yeah, it's um, it's massively popular. So for those of you who haven't heard of Plex before, I feel like they're 
they're divesting a little bit too far now, but their initial value proposition was you've probably got a lot of media. You've got photos, you've got music, you've got uh, movies. Let's not get into the details of where you got all of these things from, but you have these things. How do you organize it? And Plex becomes like your personal library for all that stuff. <clears throat> it's like the server for it. So I run Plex. <coughs> I run Plex on a uh, Synology NAS, which I have done for probably about a decade now. So it runs on there. It indexes all my media. I can play it on my PC. It's got mobile apps. You can save stuff offline. It can transcode. So you might have like a 4K movie. And so long as you've got enough grunt on the CPU, or if you've got a GPU in the server running it, you can then transcode it and stream it down to a device in a lesser quality, which is pretty cool. So Plex has been great for that. I said I feel they're divesting a little bit too far because now they just seem to be entering this whole streaming media scene where it's like, well, here's all these movies and things that you don't own that aren't part of your library, which you should go and watch. I was like, well, that's kind of what Netflix and everything is for. But anyway, that's what Plex does. Henrik says, Plex seems to have spread the load a little bit by telling me 12 hours ago. Now, this was one of the things I thought about, actually. I was like, okay, you've got 30 million subscribers. You don't want to effectively DDoS yourself by emailing everyone at once and telling them to change their password. Do you, do you just do like a million an hour, you know? And then I thought, well, you know, that, that kind of makes sense from an engineering perspective, but also word spreads so fast on the internet. Now, if you're person one, and you start putting out all these tweets and you've got a bit of an audience and some influence and everyone else starts reading this and someone else is like person 30 million and they're like, was I impacted? Was I not? And they're waiting like 30 hours to figure it out. So I'm not sure that's that's a good strategy. I feel like a better strategy would be to have a much more distributed system that can handle that load when it comes in. Ah. Gordon says, two emails. Maybe with the number of users, there are delays sending mail. Duplicate mails would be explained, but it's not like we've we've not all screwed up an email blast before. That's actually a fairly reasonable comment too. Like we sit here and pick holes in other people, but we have all screwed up some serious stuff before. The one that always comes to mind for me, partly because it was stupid, partly because it was early in my career, it was 1999 in London, <laughs> and I was working for, uh, I was actually working for uh, a company there building the first Kahoot bank uh, interface. For those of you in the UK, you know Kahoot Bank, online bank. I think it was one of the first online banks in the UK, and I was building the front end. And at some point in time, the marketing people decided that they wanted to replace uh, every time the word or the number 10 appeared, as in, you know, 10 times a week, whatever it may be, they wanted it to be T-E-N. So because I'm a freaking genius and I know how to find a replace, I just replace every one zero with a T-E-N, which consequently screws up every single number that has the numbers one and zero somewhere in the midst of them. Uh, I messed it up completely. And then because I'm such a freaking genius, I thought I'll fix it now by replacing every T-E-N with a one zero. And then, of course, every time there was copy with like a tension in there or something, now I've screwed that up as well. And our version control back then was copy the folder, paste it, and then you just change the name of the folder to include the date. That was the way we did version control. Happy days. We have all screwed up. Which brings us to LastPass. So LastPass is in the news again today uh, for having a security incident. Now, we're just going to say incident. I'm not sure that we can 
really call this full-on breach. Now, again, full disclosure to those who don't know, I'm on one passwords board of advisors. I have uh, I have a commercial interest with them. I have a, I guess, an employment of sorts interest with them. But this really isn't about them or any other password managers that are out there. This is about what's happened with LastPass. I'm going to be very objective about it because I don't actually think it's that bad from what we can read about it. So they've sort of said, look, a couple of weeks ago, uh, saw some weird stuff going on. We've determined that an unauthorized party gained access to portions of LastPass development environment through a single compromised developer account and took portions of source code and some proprietary LastPass technical information. We have no evidence this incident involved any access to customer data or encrypted password vaults. Our products and services are operating normally. Right. So, I tweeted this, and I said, um, it almost feels like one of those abundance of caution things without tangible impact on subscribers. LastPass is not open source. One password is not open source. This is not about open source, closed source, but you have to build software with the expectation that the source is discoverable, whether it's through decompilation or whether it might be through an incident like this or a malicious insider. You have to work on the assumption that the code itself is visible. Now, LastPass is a large enough organization with enough sensitive, critically important information that I'm sure they have really good engineering teams and short of having put secrets in source code, it is hard to imagine that this would actually have much real-world impact. I think the bigger issue here with LastPass, and this is where it not being their first rodeo is sort of the problem, is that there is so much sensitivity around password managers because they do hold the keys to your kingdom. And there is such a high expectation of security that any incident of any level of severity is immediately going to get people talking. I think that's probably the issue here. I think the issue is is that they've had an incident that shouldn't have happened. I don't think it's a major thing in any tangible way, but they're a password manager, and it's not the first time something has caused them to be in the news for having a security incident, which also wasn't major at that time either. In fact, I wrote a blog post after this about uh, password managers not needing to be perfect because a lot of people jumped up and down and went, this is why you should have pen and paper. It's like, what? Let's say this case here. They had some source code exposed. So you're going to stop like having strong, unique passwords on everything and start writing it on pen and paper and trying to remember it, which you won't do. So you'll then just have a few passwords and they'll be crap and you'll reuse them all. No, no, not at all. So I don't think it's so bad, but the optics, as they say, are not great. Optics are a problem. One more, cheeky fish. I got this SMS. I'm going to read it out to you, actually. It's here on my uh, my device. Got this SMS from mum. All right, so I'm holding the phone up. A bit hard to see, but there is a screen cap of it in my tweet thread. Now, it says... Mum, and then it says, Can I, lowercase i, geez, I hope my mum wouldn't do that, bugs the hell out of me. Can I please borrow 150 at the shops buying groceries and have the wrong card with me? Transfer it back to you tonight. Then there's a BSB, which in Australia is uh, effectively identifies the bank and the account number. Now, um, 
What's cheeky about this? A few, a few things. This has come through on my iPhone with the name Mum. So the ability to actually send a sender name and to have it say Mum, from a social engineering perspective, is really very quickly going to get you thinking, it's Mum. Also, it's Mum, it's not Mom. You know, like I know there's a big chunk of the world that says Mom, Australia, and uh, I would argue most of the English-speaking countries listen to this right now, given the time of day, (laughs) hello England, UK, everyone, is going to be Mum. So it's tailored to that extent. Can I please borrow 150? Now, 150 bucks, Aussie dollars, just to put that in perspective, that at the moment is around about just over 100 US dollars. It's around about half of 115 euros or GBPs, somewhere thereabouts. It's not that much. You know, like it, it, it's enough to make the scam worthwhile. But if your mum said, can I borrow 150 bucks? You go, yeah, 150 bucks, okay. Also, she's at the shops buying groceries. So from a social engineering perspective, there's a little bit of urgency in here. You know, she's there. So mum is there right now. She doesn't have the money. You want to help mum out. I just thought that was very cheeky, the way that was put together. Now, the good news is, is that there is a BSB here. And by being a BSB, it identifies which bank owns the account. So someone figured out, and this is literally just a Google, just go, like Google BSB them whenever the six-digit number is. I think it was like Bank of Queensland or something. So someone looped them into the thread and said, hey, Bank of Queensland, I think this is one of your accounts. How about you fix this? Uh, and they did chime in on the thread, and it looks like they're, they're following that up. Inevitably, this is not the bank account of the person mounting the phishing, or we probably should say smishing attack. It will be a mule somewhere down in the tiers of the hierarchy of phishing. This would have been someone who replied to one of those ads about make money from home very quickly, and hey, all you need to do is receive some money from us, and then you send it back on, and yada, yada, yada. So it'll be some other low-level, possibly unintentional uh, party to the whole thing. Anyway, I thought it was good. Well, okay, it's not good, but I thought it was clever the way they did it. Uh, John says, human brain also holds the one key to all the kingdoms, and that's a far higher risk. Given what practices most non-techies have, there's about passwords again. Stratus is uh, recalling space balls here. As far as passwords go, that would be the, the password on the luggage being one, two, three, four. Henrik, I moved to one password from LastPass a year ago. They kept sending me marketing emails, which I couldn't unsubscribe from because my account was deleted. Again, with my vested interest, what I would say with my observations, and I have spent a lot of time, I bet you there's a spam call. Let's take it. Let's do this real time. Hold on. Hello? Hello? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. Thanks for asking, Troy. So I was actually reaching you today in regards to one of your business domains, Troy. Like if you remember, have we been pwnet.com? I'm sorry, which one? Uh, that is have we been pwned.com. You said porn? So I actually was one. Yeah, like havebeenpond.com. Oh, sorry, is that a porn domain? I'm so sorry. No, it's not a porn domain. Do you say porn? It's PWN. Not porn. Uh, 
like I was actually going through that profile, I find like uh, you're using it for your male purpose. Uh, well, I'm not talking about that. So, like, do you remember this TroyHunt.com, which is your personal domain? Yeah, but that one's not porn. That's just me. Yeah, yeah, that's you. I'm so sorry. So just to ask you, like, uh, okay, Troy, I got to have your website as well. Like, you're a motivational speaker. And you're actually taking uh, sessions and all, writing blog. No, mostly just porn. That's why I have the porn domain. It's it's mostly just porn. Yeah, hi, I'm Troy Hunt. I write this blog, Run. Have I been porn? Yeah. Yeah, that's have I been in porn? Yeah, dot com. Yeah. I'm gonna need to register that domain now. Uh, like, just to ask you, like, what sort of plans do you have? Like, are you generating any revenue from this uh, domain? Uh, only from the porn. Sorry. Uh, only from the porn. What What kind of thing that is? What kind of thing is porn? Okay, go www.google.com. Type in porn. And, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't keep doing this. Okay, bye bye. <laughs> this is going to go down a path that I really shouldn't be doing in the middle of a live stream because you just never know what's actually going to happen. Um, I don't know about everyone else, everywhere else. Let me know in the comments. But I get so many of these now. And when I say so many, I would say I'd get maybe three of these a day. And generally, the way we deal with it now is. Whichever child is closest to me, either Ari at 12 or L at 10, they get the phone. And the challenge is to see how long they can keep the person on the phone. And what's really funny about it is the scammers, and they know they're scammers. Every time someone says they're just reading from a script, you don't start swearing and abusing people when you're just reading from a script. And that's what happens every time if you push the right buttons. So the challenge for the kids is how long can you keep the scammer on the call and can you push the right buttons to completely make them lose their shit? Anyway, where were we? It's nice having impromptu content, isn't it? Okay. Yeah, here we go. We were back on the last pass thing. So, Henrik, I moved from one password to last past a year ago. They kept sending me marketing emails, which I couldn't uh, unsubscribe from because my account was deleted. And where I was going with this before the porn lady called me is um, my experience with the one password folks and the reason I've ended up having such a close relationship with them is that every time I spoke to people there, they were technical people and they understood what they were doing and that if they weren't engineers or even if they were marketing people they would still have that that sort of grasp of the concepts there was it was never a pushy thing it was never a sales pitch it was always just like genuinely genuinely good nice people and i think that that's really really helped them build the reputation that they have today and that they've got an extremely strong brand and reputation i saw something the other day and i i didn't end up sharing it because i was going to wait for a little bit later for some reason but it was something like there's, uh, I think it's Glassdoor. So there's a, a service called Glassdoor where you can rate employers. And it, like if you're an employee, the employee can go and give them a rating. And they had just absolutely smashed it, gold star, 100% positive on everything because it's just that sort of company. And in my experience, without naming names, not all the other ones, password managers, have been. Uh, there, There is a lot of marketing that goes on in this industry. Let's just say that. Strauss says, my mum... Offers money, never asks for it. 
<laughs> so I'd know something is sus. I should have sent this person back my BSB and bank account. Just, yeah, hey, mum, send me some money. Hmm. Jamie, I left LastPass a few years ago to Bitwarden. I haven't looked back since. Uh, I did write something some years ago about how to <laughs> how to leave LastPass. It was for one password. After LogMeIn bought them because I have not been a fan of LogMeIn due to how consistently it's been used for scammers who call me all the time uh, as part of them taking remote control over your desktop and either nuking things or trying to demonstrate that you've got security flaws and now please give me money. So I was not very happy about LogMeIn now owning a password manager. Untidy Tech also says my family always sends and receive money. Oh, I like that, but we would never know it if it was for a new account. And then there's just a lot of laughy faces after porn lady called me. Um, <laughs> I just, I'm just at the point now. I just run out of patience with them. So, if I got time to kill, different, different. <laughs> I think everyone's happy with that. We should do more of that now. Untidy Tech says, have I been pawned? Would probably get a lot of traffic. I do own, have I been pawned? Spelt the way I was trying to imply to the lady just now uh, is spelled. So yes, I do own that. That's one of the many domains that I'm sitting on because it is so similar. Um, Jamie wants to move to self-hosted Bitwarden, so I keep control over my data. I have an entire other discussion about that, which I am out of time for today, but that'll be another another good discussion another day. Uh should you self-manage your own password vault and be completely off the grid with it? Just as a free LastPass family's account as a benefit of the firm I work for using LastPass for business. But with all the shady press they've been getting, I'm seriously de uh, debating jumping to one password. I, I would say that, you know, the, the positive thing there is that it's not hard in terms of exporting your data from one to the other. So you can always give it a go and, and see if you like it or not. All right, folks. Well, that was fun. <laughs> I'm going to drop because I, I sort of like got home and pretty much came straight upstairs to do this at the at the right time of day. And I'd love to sh shut this down. I don't know, like go and sit outside in the warm weather. It is still winter, but it's 17 degrees Celsius at the moment. So it might be nice to sit out there and enjoy, uh, enjoy another cold Belgian one. So thank you for joining me and I'll come back next week. See you, folks.